So we are in Biblical Soul Care Sunday School class, working through the fruits, or the fruits of the Spirit, and we are we've made our way to faithfulness. And just by way of review, if you have part one of your notes still, there are some extra copies in the back. Um, but we talked about faithfulness. We defined it, um, and it can have different shades of meaning. It can mean saving faith. Or the act of believing in Christ, when Scripture says faith in the New Testament, that's what it can uh, it most normally refers to. Um, it can also mean confidence or in someone or something, and we have our faith in Christ. Uh, it could also be the faith, the Christian faith, the set of beliefs and doctrines that Christians hold to, to be Christians. And um, but in letter D on that on that page is how Paul's using it here. When he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, he's talking about the faithfulness or reliability of someone or something. Okay, so that's what we are using. He's saying that those who are in Christ, those who have the Spirit of God in them, will be faithful. So we started to explore that by reading some, some scriptures about God's faithfulness. In Deuteronomy 7, 9, we, we read, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, and keep his covenant to a thousand generations. So God does what he says. He makes promises and he keeps them. Right? And then Lamentations, we talked about in that context... Israel for hundreds of years had been unfaithful to God. In Lamentations, they were experiencing what God told them was going to happen if they were unfaithful. But, Jeremiah says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And again, he was saying that after they had just been ransacked, right? They had been conquered. Um, they had, had been experienced a horrifying siege where they could not get food and water. Uh, they had resorted to eating their children. It was a horrific thing. And then they, at the end, they were conquered and a third of them were carried off. Okay, so it was a horrible time. Suffering that is hard for us to imagine. And he is still saying, the Lord is faithful. Romans 3.3, and we read that what if some were unfaithful? People were unfaithful. Israel specifically is who he's talking about. Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? And that's Paul's rhetorical question. And obviously the answer is no. It does not. He is faithful. So he does what he does because he is faithful, whether that is pleasant circumstances or in hard trials. We also read several verses about how God is faithful to us. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he's faithful because he won't allow temptations to be too great for us. Right? He always provides the way of escape every time he does that. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, the God of peace himself will sanctify you completely. 24, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So we will be completely sanctified. We can bet on it. Right? We have a faithful high priest, Hebrews tells us, over and over again. And then we move to 
how do we as Christians, how are we supposed to be faithful? We made it all the way to the bottom of page four, and we were reading, we we're getting ready to read 2 Timothy 2 2. And this is about leaders, and he says, And what, did, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And the question is, why is it important for church leaders to be faithful? Well, what happens if you don't have faithful leaders? compromise their witness mm -hmm. for the most part. Yeah, what's the result of that? If leaders compromise the witness of Christ? What happens? Mm -hmm. People won't believe them. Yeah. We lose credibility. Yeah. Okay. Other thoughts? You could lead people astray. If I'm a church leader who is not faithful, I'm going to reproduce followers. People who I lead are going to be like me. It could also prevent him or her, if it's a woman leading women, from um, being able to correct properly the people who are struggling with a similar sin or any sin because they have that guilt as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can hinder my own uh, or our own as, and you're a leader. Everybody's a leader in some capacity, right? The, those who you lead, if you are unfaithful, you might hesitate to bring up a certain sin or correction because you're like, oh, I'm, I'm doing that too. Okay, that's, yeah, that's a good thought. The people who put their trust in you as a leader, become full, they feel disillusioned, and sometimes they walk away from the faith because they put too much mm -hmm. on the leader. Too much faith and trust. Okay. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Yeah, faithfulness and leadership is very, very important. Timothy was to entrust to faithful leaders. Titus 2, 9 and 10. This is extending it to servants. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, which, again, he's, he's saying all good reliability, trustworthiness, all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. How are bond servants to demonstrate faithfulness? They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. Mm -hmm. They should be uh, honoring <clears throat> yeah. with their masters. They should be excellent employees, mm -hmm. right? Not arguing. Yeah. Okay. Well-pleasing, doing a good job all the time. Submissive to their own masters in almost everything. In most things. No, in, in everything. Wow. So, how should we apply that in our service? Maybe a question before that is, what happens when we don't do that? You and I, as Christian <coughs> workers, 
what's kind of the implied result if I'm not well-pleasing in all things, if I'm not submissive to my boss, if I'm not, if I am argumentative, pilfering, taking too long of breaks, using things at work for my own purposes, what, what happens? I don't properly represent Christ. We're yeah. supposed to walk as Christ. If he's faithful, we should be faithful. Yeah, we are adorning the doctrine of God. And if we are unfaithful, we are dishonoring the name of God. <coughs> and if you, we all know, the world watches Christians closely, right? They might see somebody lie, a whole bunch, but if it's a Christian, a professing Christian who lies, it's a big deal. Second Thessalonians 1.4 Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God, for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. <clears throat> Church of Thessalonica, they got it. What, how are they being faithful? They're steadfast in the face of what? Persecution. Persecutions and afflictions. They were enduring it and they were steadfast. They didn't shrink away. So we've seen uh, God is faithful and he calls us to be faithful. So now as we transition to part two, we're going to try to do a dive into well, how does that look? If I want to develop faithfulness, how should I go about that? If you're counseling someone or discipling someone who is unfaithful, not enduring, not reliable, not dependable, how do we help them cultivate faithfulness? Okay. In the introduction, we see what, what is the statement we're all longing to hear from Christ when we stand before him. When I die and I stand before Christ, what do we want to hear? We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? So, that's that should be like kind of our life goal, right? So if we're if we want to hear that, we want to hear good and faithful. We should be thinking about how do I cultivate and grow in faithfulness. I want that to be the assessment of my life. Is Brock was good and faithful in the eyes of Christ? That's what I want. So let's take a look, closer look at what are the components of faithfulness and how do we cultivate it. So, faithfulness is the quality of being reliable and trustworthy. It's dependable uh, to do what is right and good. So before we can be intentional about growing in faithfulness, we have to understand the necessary components. And, and there's probably many. I only did a few. I did three main components. Um, but what do you think are, are some traits or qualities that are vital to faithfulness? You cannot be faithful if you do not have blank. What would those things be? What are your thoughts? Education, we call this wait time. <laughs> Please be a promise keeper. A promise keeper, okay. If you say something, people can trust you. 
Yeah. <clears throat> I think there needs to be a track record. Yeah, but it's kind of like an overtime element, right? You can't be faithful one day and then the next day you're not faithful. If that's true, even if more days I'm faithful and the, but there's still some days where I'm not faithful, the overall assessment would be that's unfaithful. So there's gotta be there's a time element. <coughs> Anything else? Some of them are, are pretty, almost too obvious. Like, we obviously want our faithful leaders to be faithfully good, right? To do what is right and not be faithfully, reliably self-interested, right? We, we want them to be reliably loving, serving others. And there is a commitment, um, and Peggy touched on this when she said, as a promise keeper, as a faithful person, as a faithful believer, we are committed to truth. If I say it, I'm going to say what's true, and I'm going to follow through with it. So we're going to understand some of the crucial elements in cultivating faithfulness in our lives, and this is not going to be any kind of a... A, an exhaustive list, but these are just a few things that I think we can start with if we're working with someone, we're discipling someone, counseling someone, and they want to grow in faithfulness, or if we're thinking, oh man, I'm not, I'm not super reliable. I need to grow in this area. Here, here are some things that we could focus on. First is the commitment to truth. So the first element of faithfulness we will consider is truth. Why do you suppose truth is crucial to faithfulness? When, when you were asking about a good quality, my first thought was they're not wise in their own eyes, which would be like they're wise in the truths of Scripture, and they want to know what truth of Scripture is, and that is what they're going to stand on, not what they want right. Scripture to say. Yeah. If we are committed to the truth, that the truth doesn't change. Right? So... What's convenient for me, what's good for me, that might change from time to time, from context to context. At home, it might be this way, uh, in, in this leadership position over at my job, um, the, I think people want me to do this, I'll make this decision, but then I'll change it tomorrow because it might be different. So, but if I'm committed to truth, that will, that will help me to be steady, right? Faithfulness, consistency over time. We have to be committed to something that doesn't change. Truth is what teaches us what faithfulness is. Mm -hmm. So without truth, then we don't know what faithfulness mm -hmm. is. So we can't be faithfulness if we're not committed to the truth. Yeah. The truth and trustworthiness is synonymous with one another. Mm -hmm. Without truth, we can't trust. Mm -hmm. If you think about those people who just say, what is truth? You know, there's, there's no such thing as truth. What can you trust them to do? Whatever they want to do. Whatever they want to do. <laughs> Whatever's good for them. Whatever feels right. That's, what, that's the only thing you can trust them to do. And that might be different from one day to the next. Yeah, so we have to be, if there's no commitment to the truth, you do not have faithfulness. Right, and so there's, there's more elements to that. Let's look at, um, the first one is letter A. 
that has to include a desire to know the truth. Look at John 3, 19 through 21. This is a very well-known passage right after John 3, 16, right? And this is a judgment, Jesus says. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So, contrast real quick the, the believers versus the unbelievers. What is Jesus saying? How are they different? The believer seek the light, and the unbeliever don't seek the light. Yeah. They seek the darkness. Yeah, so the believers seek the light. And the light, in this case, is the truth. Jesus comes, he is the truth. He's the light of the world. He comes to shine light, and believers go to him. They desire light. And then the unbelievers, Joshua said, they're they're shunning the light. They're running from it. Because their works are evil. They don't want them to be exposed. Okay, go to the next page. John 8, 31 and 32, also another well-known, often memorized verse, or verse 32 in particular. 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what does truth do in a believer's life? Sets you free. Free. Sets you free. So for a believer who runs through the light, sees the light, comes into the light, loves the truth, the truth sets the believer free. But why doesn't it do that to everyone? Because we are sin- we are all sin angels because we got it from Adam and Eve. Yep. They're imprisoned by their sin. Mm-hmm. And when they're hiding, it's, a, it's an imprisonment. But those are in liberty who are open to Christ. You're free and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and I mean, referring back to John 3, we just read, they, they're running away from the light. They don't want the truth. So how do you and I as believers, how can we ensure that the truth is setting us free and not just filling our heads? Look at 31. What's the key that Jesus gives in verse 31? Abide in my word. Jesus says, if you abide in my word. What does that mean? Just listen to the Bible all day? You have to live it out. Mm-hmm. Make it part of your life. Yeah. There, there's a commitment to... Uh, not only hear the truth and love the truth and know the truth, but to do the truth. That's going to help us transfer to the next part. The letter B is, there is a practicing that must be there. If I just say 
the truth. That's not quite enough. I go to church. I learn about truth all day long. I can tell you all kinds of Bible verses about truth. But if I don't abide in Christ's word, then the truth does not have that effect on me. It doesn't set me free. It makes me proud. We need to live it too every day. <coughs> Look at Ephesians 4.20 to, to Joshua's point. We're, we're committed to practicing the truth. Ephesians 4.20 But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each, of, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So how do we put into practice what Paul is saying here in Ephesians? How do we practice the truth? What's one way? There's a couple right answers there. You gotta put a, put something away, put something on. So put away the falsehood mm -hmm. and speak truth to your neighbors. Yeah, don't lie. Right? Don't be deceitful. So we're putting on truth. We're gonna speak the truth to our neighbors. We are putting off our old selves. Putting on Christ. We get first John one, five and six. This is a message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And then 1 John 2, 4 through 6, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So how do we practice the truth according to, to 1 John? We keep his commandments. Yeah. We obey him. There is a practicing, a living, a lifestyle to a commitment to the truth. So we have this, if we're going to be faithful, but we're not committed to the truth, or we don't tell the truth, or we say one thing and do another thing, we will not be faithful. We can't be faithful. So that's, that's one of the first crucial elements. We have to know and love and do the truth. And then, as Marcy alluded to earlier, there's a, an overtime element of this. It has to be persevering love for the truth, persevering practicing of the truth, abiding in the truth. The second element we'll talk about this morning is an enduring love for God and others. 
Okay? If telling the truth was all there was to being a faithful Christian, we would have it easy. So what happens when a Christian, or you, could, you can think about an unbeliever as well, what if they, they just tell the truth all the time? I'm just telling the truth. What are you getting so mad about it? I'm just telling the truth. I'm just honest. <laughs> being authentic. What, what can happen when someone is all that they say and all that they do is just telling the truth? Doesn't come across very loving. Mm-hmm. Why not? Truth hurts. <laughs> I mean, you, the way the way you say it can mm-hmm. hurt. They're prideful, and that's the reason they're so blunt. You be per- perceived as arrogant. Mm-hmm. Can it actually be arrogant? It can be. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be true too. Yeah. Yeah, there's this interesting, um, read an article, and it was a kind of a critique. And it's, it's hard because a lot of, like, bloggers, you know, these days, like, that's their whole ministry is to point out where everybody else doesn't know the truth. They are not doing the truth and to kind of tear it down. And sometimes that is necessary, right? Sometimes there are heretics and there are false religions, and we need to show plainly and clearly how that's not true how it goes against scripture but I think the temptation for and this is a, a temptation for our church is when we are committed to knowing scripture when we're committed to truth it can very easily go too far to the side where I just don't love people so much I just want to tell you where you're wrong mm-hmm. And if that is where we go with it, we, we're in danger of being puffed up with knowledge and not really actually loving people the way Christ loves us. So we can't get, we do need to tell the truth. And that's why it's so hard. And we, have, we need each other to help and point out to one another when I am being unloving because I'm telling the truth, you know, I need brothers to come alongside of me and sisters to come alongside of me and say, hey, Brock, you need to think about how you said that. Or can you think of any good thing that, that, that your brother in Christ has said? If I can only say negative things about a brother or sister in Christ, that is a problem. Right? Assuming that they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And even if they're unbelievers. Our motive should be to build up. And to the, the idea of telling the truth is to, for non-believers, to point them toward God. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, the person that always telling the truth, I just that's how I, it's their truth, not necessarily the truth. Mm-hmm. So we got to be careful of that. Yeah. Uh, but if our motive is just to tear down, it, then we we're sinning. Mm-hmm. It's not. Not the point of the truth. Right. Right. We are motivated by love for God and love for our neighbor, as we'll see. Um, go ahead and turn to the page. We're on page three here. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, 
and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. How can we be imitators of God? Well, we, we walk in love. As Christ loved us. And then Ephesians, or sorry, Romans 13. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. If we want to be faithful followers of Christ, fulfilling what Christ wants us to do, how do we do it according to Romans 13, 8 through 12? to love them and so sometimes that means taking a little bit of a, a patient route um, because like if you if you just say hey this is wrong they're not going to really they're going to immediately clam up a lot of times unless their heart is really open to that in that moment um, so sometimes you have to go through steps almost and that can take a long time, and some steps may take forever, it feels like, and other steps may go by really quick. Um, and but you're doing it out of love for that person, being patient with that, and really being there for them through the whole thing, with boundaries, of course. But sometimes it takes that, and sometimes it takes kind bluntness of just like, you know, mm -hmm. if you can tell their heart is open, just telling them right there in a mm -hmm. kind way, in a loving way. But oh, the majority of the time, I found that it's usually the patient route. So um, you have to be willing to actually walk with them through that, and that can be draining. Yep. How long does it take us to put off sin? If you're not a believer, <laughs> then you have to make that first step. But um, if you are a believer, sometimes it takes way too long. <laughs> I mean, I say daily, you take up your cross daily. Yeah. Today, still on a Sunday, I mean, I mean, you're still struggling. It's church day, right? Like, there is, if if you sinned this morning, was it the first time you did that sin? How patient is God with us? He loves us, and He's going to work with us over the course of our lives. Someday. It'll all be done. And I'm longing for that day when I don't ever sin anymore. I'll be in, in the presence of God, worshiping Him as He deserves to be worshipped, loving Him as He deserves to be loved, without the, the taint of sin. Someday that's going to be true. That is not true. And that same love that God loves us with, we are to love others. And that does lead us to tell them the truth. We do need to tell them the truth. There, if there's a gain, there's a gaining traction in American. I don't even want to call it Christianity. Churches, right? That is just affirming all kinds of sin, homosexuality, transgenderism, just 
sexual sin of all kinds, not just homosexuality, right? There's, there's all kinds of sin that is just, we're, we're kind of, you know, backing off of the truth as a culture. And there is one element in American churches that will point out that and say, yeah, that's horrible and horrific and you're all going to hell, right? There's that kind of thing. Now, unrepentant, is that true? Yes, it is true, right? For unrepentant sin, we die in unbelief, we experience the wrath of God for all eternity. That is true. We do need to tell the truth with love because we don't want them to experience that. We want them to know the truth. We want them to repent. We want their joy with us in Christ. That's what we were created for. Right? We want that for them, so that will lead us to tell the truth with love. <clears throat> love does no wrong to a neighbor. So, so we tell the truth, but we, this Romans 8, is we need to act it out also. Mm-hmm. You cannot tell them what they're doing is wrong and then be murdering, be adulterers, uh, be thieves and coveters. We can't turn around and do that mm-hmm. while telling them they should not do that. Mm-hmm. That's a way of loving them. Yeah. So that, that connects it to what we just we talked about, truth. I'm, if I'm committed to the truth and obeying what God says is true and living what God says is true, and now I'm loving others and telling them the truth. <coughs> Any other comments on that? Okay, the third one we're going to talk about this one. Hey, we might finish today. All right, so reliance on the Holy Spirit. This is the obvious one, right? This is, um, even in our our theme verse, Galatians 5.22, in that context, Paul says three different times, he says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This third element is we, we do rely on the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit's enabling in our lives. So what is Paul trying to teach us here in 16, 18, and 25? <clears throat> it's not a one-time decision. It's a daily walk. Yeah. This is daily. So I prayed a prayer, you know, and then I was, you know, I was walking by the Spirit that day. And so I just, no, it's it's over time. We live by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. Those are all. All three of those are like continual phrases. We we can't be led by the Spirit. I do it every Sunday, and then sometimes on. Wednesdays and Thursdays, but Monday is not early because, I mean, who wants to do that on Monday? No, there's there's a consistency every day relying on the Holy Spirit. We look to Him and His leading in our lives. This was a thought that I had when we were back on The Truth Shall Set You Free and talking about truth and the contrast and the great Venn diagram of this 
is lies and the father of lies and there's a spiritual element of people who are walking in the flesh or people who are of the world are, are under the dominion of father of lies there's a spiritual element and the contrast to that is the holy spirit and light and truth and all of that so i think as we think about this there is a contrast in our own lives where we were bound to sin and we're now set free. We were bound to lies and darkness, and we should be living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit in the light, because a change has happened that had really nothing to do with how much we read our Bible or how consistent we were in our own strength, because it is spiritual. It is a work of God, not necessarily work that we do. <laughs> yeah, because there's only two options. Uh, you, you are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, or what? The fruit of the flesh. If you look back in um, Galatians 5, <clears throat> he, there's two lists. If I can find it here. Okay, verse 16, we read this, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You're either going to walk by the Spirit or walk by the flesh. Right? The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. This is what Mark is saying. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There is no third team. Okay? There's no Switzerland, spiritually speaking. Okay? We cannot be neutral in all, in all the things. Right? So, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. <clears throat> now, the works of the flesh are evident. <clears throat> sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're on one team or the other. <clears throat> so there's a continual walking by the Spirit, eyes on the Spirit, thinking about what the Spirit is teaching us day by day. Romans 8. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, what's the critical element of walking by the Spirit here that Paul's talking about? <clears throat> I want to walk by the Spirit. Okay, I see Galatians 5. Okay, I need to walk by the Spirit. I need to be led by the Spirit. How do I do that? got to set my mind to the Spirit. What are you thinking about? I mean, set my... I've always been, I'm just going to get this done, get this done, and I've, that's got to me the point where at one point in my life it was like, the Spirit is something I pull out of my pocket when things really get tough. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to do it myself first. Yeah. But I, you have to set your mind on everything hinges on walking in the Spirit. You're not walking in the spirit, you're walking in the flesh. 
So you've got to meditate on that. That has to be on your mind consistently. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes sense. If, you're, if we're not doing that, we are not going to be faithful. Mm-hmm. Because again, faithful is consistent trustworthiness. Okay? It's consistent love of God and others. It's consistent commitment to the truth. Day after day. And if we don't fix our minds on the Spirit, we're not going to be that. We're not going to do that consistently. So it is. It is setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. Because everything else is death, right? Setting your mind on anything else, other goals, is hostility to God, and will lead to death. Romans 8, 12 through 16. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So what does living by the Spirit lead us to do? So we are sons and daughters of God. That's our status. What do we do then? We live. Verse 13. <coughs> Put to death the deeds of the body. We will be fighting sin, our own sin. I'm going to, by the power of the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. And if I do that, I will live. We will kill our own sin. The effects of living by the Spirit are... Marcy, I think that Peggy said we are, we are children of God. So, the summary is we all long to be good and faithful servants of our Lord Jesus. Let's consider how we can encourage one another in faithfulness to Him. We remind each other of truth. Let's also be more motivated by love for God and love for people. Any Ending comments? Yesterday I had a grandson who called me. <clears throat> He's now 21 years old. And he said, I want to I start telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, he knew that he'd been doing some sinful things. And he decided he would tell me first before he went to his parents <laughs> because he thought it would be more understanding and loving. And all I could do through that conversation was just thank God that the first thing you do is confess, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and then and repent. <coughs> I just, just felt like he had learned some hard lessons and was on the right path. So it's encouraging to see that. And 
yeah, just expressing love mm -hmm. and confidence in him and his repentance and following through on that. Yeah. It was exciting. Yeah, there's there's a joy in knowing the truth and being set free from lies and for our from our bondage to sin. Praise the Lord. Any other comments? This is not a lone wolf uh, action. We need to be part of the body. Mm -hmm. Except the Spirit helps work yeah. as we encourage and uh, rebuke each other. A better walk is faithful. Yeah. That that community, you know, we're part of the <coughs> body of Christ, we're the family of God. We need one another. If I'm by myself, I can justify all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Can trick myself because I already want to believe the best about myself, right? I want to justify what I want. I want to work things to where I get the the desired outcome. It, it is crucial that I have a church family who will help me bring correction, point out the specks or logs in my eye. Right? It's a great. Great point. And let's do that as we go to the main service. Let's seek to encourage one another and love one another in truth and in love. Thanks, everybody.